So another example would be, you know, we have a closets full of clothes and you don't wear them. They're just sitting in there all the time, but you can't throw them out because you spent money on them that, you know, cost 30 bucks or 40 bucks, or whatever. And you can't even give them away, even though you never wear it and you never will wear it. It's not rational, right? The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to the I Love Mortgage Brokering podcast. I'm continuing on the 10 months a month series, and it's a tactical short podcast that we produce every week. I'm your host, Scott Peckford. This week, I'm doing the best of the science of brokering. So I did a series this year where I would take a concept from sociology or psychology, and then I would teach it, explain some of the research behind it, some of the studies that they've done, and then I would explain how you can apply that very tactically to your mortgage business. They got lots of great downloads and good feedback on it. So I'm going to share with you three of the kind of more popular ones coming up here in a sec. Before I do, though, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage app application, document collection, submission platform that is really easy to use. It's got this smart docs feature. So as the client's filling out the app, it's saying, oh, I know what you need. You're self-employed. Here's what you need for documents. And it's also got smart submission notes. It's also integrated with Lender Spotlight, which allows you to search all of the lender guidelines and rates so you can determine the best place to put that loan. And the whole purpose is obviously to help you save time and make a more efficient process. So check out finmo.ca. And in this upcoming section, I talk about commitment and how to create more realtor referrals. So check it out and I will come back and chat with you when that's done. And so today I'm talking about the principle of commitment. And what that means is that people will tend to do as much as possible to appear consistent with their words and actions, even to the extent that they'll do things that are irrational. So I'll give you an example of this. And so there was a study done where they went into a neighborhood and they said, hey, can we put this big, ugly sign on your lawn that says drive safe? And of course, the compliance rate was very low. They're like, I don't really want a big sign on my lawn. And so then they went into another neighborhood and they said, okay, we're going to do this in two stages. Stage one, we're going to go and ask people, hey, would you mind putting up a little sticker in your window on your door saying drive safely in our neighborhood? And people were like, yeah, okay, that's a small commitment. Ten days later, they came back and they asked, hey, can we put a sign in your yard? And they found that when people had made the small commitment of the sticker, the chances of them saying yes to the sign increased by 400%. So just think about that for a second. They literally increased their conversion by 400% by getting that small commitment first. The sign was still ugly. Nothing changed about the sign. It was the exact same type, but we're not rational. When we make a decision, so we made that commitment of like, you know, I'm the type of person who thinks that people should drive safe in their neighborhood. Then for me to tell you no, when you come back and ask to put a sign up, I'm not being consistent. Therefore, I'm going to say yes. And when we don't, so when we have this inner conflict where I say I'm one thing or this is my belief and I act another way, we can have something what's called cognitive dissonance. And this is where we have this mental conflict where our beliefs and our behaviors are not aligned. And we'll do a lot of mental manipulation to feel comfortable in this. And so that's cool, Scott, but how does that relate into my mortgage business? Remember, the first tactic is don't ask them who they use for a realtor until you explain what a good realtor does. You'll find that they're going to be more open to listening to who you recommend. Second, don't forget the who else tactic. So if you get a compliment, hey, thanks so much, man. Who else do you know that could use X, who would appreciate X? And that's an easy way to get referrals. Finally, engineer your process, your pitches, your conversations to get lots of micro yeses so that when you get to the big yes, they say yes to it. It's baked into science. It's baked into our brains. It absolutely works. We've seen it work tactically on a you know street level in the mortgage business, but it works in science studies that they do on human behavior. So hopefully this helps you in your business. All right. So in that episode on commitment, talked about don't ask about who they use because you don't want them committing to the person they've already said that they're already working with until you explain how a good realtor works. Use that who else tactic. Who else do you know? 
and then engineer your process for micro yeses. This is something that we do. So one of our trainings that we do in our brokerage for new agents, when you're doing a presentation to real estate agents, is we show you how to get literally dozens of micro yeses from that real estate agent. So by the time you get to the end of your presentation, you actually, they're like, oh my gosh, yes, here's a referral. And so it's very, very effective. So in this upcoming section, I'm gonna talk about sunk cost fallacy and how to make your clients more loyal. Check it out and I'll come back and chat with you in a sec. So it's related to another mental shortcut called loss aversion. So once you've kind of put money into something, you're like, well, I got to keep going because I've already put this money into it. Or I've already put this time into it. So some examples I already talked about. So you go to a buffet, it's $40. I've done this. I think it was like $40, $50 at a buffet in Vegas and they have so much wonderful food and I way overeat, not because I need the food, but because I'm like, well, dang, I spent this much money. I got to get my money's worth, even though I leave feeling terrible and I would have been better off to just buy a simple meal, right? So another example would be, you know, we have a closets full of clothes and you don't wear them. They're just sitting in there all the time, but you can't throw them out because you spent money on them that, you know, cost 30 bucks or 40 bucks, or whatever. And you can't even give them away, even though you never wear it and you never will wear it. It's not rational, right? Or another way it can show up is when you start watching a movie that's boring and you're like, well, I've already started it. I guess I'm just going to continue. And this, by the way, is a very human condition that we all do. So quick recap. So the sunk cost fallacy is our tendency to continue to pursue an endeavor that we've already committed some time or money in or effort into. Even if those costs aren't recoverable, we still want to follow through on it, right? And this occurs because our emotions cause us to deviate from rational decisions, right? So quick recap, get them to fill up their own application. Don't do it for them. Get documents as soon as possible and, you know, make them do some of the work on it. And then finally, never, ever pay in advance for appraisals or any of those things. They have to pay for them and then they get them on the back end. It'll protect your revenue, but also they're going to be more sticky to be like, oh, okay, I've already paid for the appraisal. They're going to be way more loyal. All right. So first thing is get them to fill out their own application, right? Really important that people are actually doing some of this on their own because then it's a basically showing a level of commitment. Get them to get documents as soon as possible. Again, the sooner they start working with you and getting you stuff, the more committed they are. And then never, never, never pay for those appraisals in advance because it sets up the wrong precedent for working with the client. All right, in this next section, the framing effect, this is from episode 40, how to win with a slightly higher rate. Check out this one, and then I'll come back and chat with you again in a moment. So a couple quick examples of what I mean. So the framing effect, as I said, our decisions are influenced by the way information is presented. And so if you think of it this way, they use the analogy of a frame. So let's say you have a picture and you have a red frame around it. It's going to influence how you see the picture. It's going to bring with the reds. And if you change the frame to blue, it's going to bring out the blues. And so in communication, how we frame information is going to affect what people notice and what they highlight. And so there was a study done by Traversky and Kahneman, and they asked participants to decide on treatments of 600 people who had contracted a fatal disease. So option one was, hey, this would result in 400 deaths, 200 people would survive. And option B was there was a 33% chance that no one would die, and then a 66% chance that everyone would die. So there was option A was 200 people would for sure survive. Option B was there's a 33% chance that everybody would survive. So one of the things that they talk about with this is the 200 people that were for sure going to survive was better than a 33% chance that everybody was going to survive. Right. And in the end, it was very interesting how framing of the information affects which options people choose. Okay, so the whole point of this is that the way that we present the frame we put around the information that we're sharing can have a huge impact on whether people will accept it, whether they're going to agree with you. So here are three key things to think about when it comes to the framing effect. First, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So keep in mind how you put the frame around the information, especially dollarize, you know, on the low side and expand on the other side when it makes sense on the high side. 
a loss is always perceived as more significant than a gain. So if you can show people the loss, hey, look, this mortgage has a penalty of $20,000, an exit penalty. This mortgage has an exit penalty of X, it's smaller. And then finally, a trusted expert can negate this to a large degree. And so you being the trusted expert, people are still going to listen to what you have to say, provided you are not sitting there just as an order taker. Hey, Mr. Customer, what do you want? You know, you want fries with that. Don't be that kind of mortgage broker. All right, so that's the last section that we did. There's a framing effect. So as a quick recap, we talked about commitment from episode 39. We talked about the sunk cost fallacy from episode 45. And then we talked about the framing effect, which is episode 40. And so it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And remember, people are way more influenced by a loss than a gain. So make sure you frame things that way. And then if you are perceived as a trusted expert, it can help you with the framing effect to some degree. It's not perfect, but again, all these things are all helping you stack the deck in your favor to have a more successful mortgage business. So hope you found that useful. A couple quick things. First, if you want to power search all of our podcast episodes, go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account where you can literally keyword search all hundreds of episodes and find exactly where we mention anything. We say the word realtor, first time buyer, financial advisor, whatever, and you can find those specific spots, whether it's me or the guest, it's very useful. It's like basically keyword searching my brain or all those conversations. Go check that out. And also, if you are a experienced mortgage broker making more than 100K a year, anywhere from 100 to 600, and you want to grow your business, go check out 10 Loans a Month Academy. We have this amazing academy. We only open it up a few times a year and we always sell out every single time. And so if you want to get put on the wait list, go to 10loansamonth.com, get put on the wait list. And then when we have spots available, we'll send you an invite. We'll let you know who's available for coaches, what their specialty is, how they can help you. And check that out at 10loansamonth.com. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.